0: Welcome to Beyond Gameplay. I'm Kelly Dunlap. this month we're talking about empathy, games, and empathy games. In this episode, I get to talk to Dr. Peter McDonald, an assistant professor of game design at DePaul University, about his research on the ways players make sense of and interpret games. More specifically, I asked Peter about his work on aesthetics and interpretation of games and you know what that means.
1: Well- My approach to uh, aesthetics is um, more of a a kind of philosophical problem. That that aesthetics is about those kinds of experiences that we can't explain to ourselves. That they go beyond. You know, we might want to try and argue with people. We might want to try and convince people that some kind of experience is beautiful or um, even cute. You know, this is an aesthetic term. But all the arguments that we can bring to convince somebody. Never quite add up to an objective description of the thing, and so aesthetics is like this weird, interesting realm where we can argue forever and never quite get anywhere.
0: So I'm going to go like old school to my high school days. Are you mm-hmm. are you a fan of Kant and the <laughs> yeah. the, the picture frame analogy? Oh man! So let's. I guess let's dive right in and I'm super excited at how you frame things up in terms of like the aesthetic experience and the, you can't quite put your finger on it. It's hard to put words to experience um, because you know we're talking about empathy and in particular empathy games. So I want to start with kind of getting your sense of what is empathy? Like the, the cognitive psychological construct of empathy.
1: Yeah, it's I think a complex question. Um, there is a baseline understanding of empathy as either well there's two kinds of empathy right either affective empathy or cognitive empathy so affective empathy as the ability to experience what other people are feeling and cognitive empathy as the ability to understand what other people are feeling um my my personal approach my like scholarly approach to empathy is based more in in terms of habit so what kind of practices what kind of uh, relation to the world make empathy possible in the first place Um, so it's a lot more like directed around action what does um what you have to know about another person in order to act in a way that you understand uh, what they're doing what they're feeling
0: so that makes me really curious as to how you either view or define empathy games
1: yeah um so, there's a wide range of empathy games out there, and what people call empathy games. Um, the I think the broad a- approach to empathy games is um, putting you in somebody else's shoes, right? That games that use the way that we inhabit an avatar um, as a way of getting us to experience that avatar's um, life, their life history, the kind of feelings that they might have, and often what empathy games do is put you in a life experience that uh, you might not have had before, or they, that uh, that's when they get talked about. You um, might be put into the place of, say, an immigrant or a person with a different sexual identity than you. Um, so that's, I think, how empathy games often get talked about. But I think that they happen in a much wider range as well. So um some empathy games are about teaching you what it's like to empathize by putting you in the place of an avatar who is also learning what it's like to empathize now that's to me one of the more interesting kind of relations to empathy games
0: can you say more about that about a game that teaches empathy by having wait i'm probably not even doing justice can you just <laughs> can
1: you say more Yeah. About so, um a relatively recent example of this is the um, Forgotten Anne, which is a 2D platforming game where you play as a, an avatar, Anne, who has fallen into this world of forgotten objects. Um, the objects then come alive. So she's surrounded in a kind of Disney World version where uh, of like Beauty and the Beast where socks are talking to her and the chandelier has an opinion on things. And Anne, at first, is a kind of enforcer of the world. She's trying to get home, and the only way she understands to get home is to um, make sure all the objects fall in line. So she's a, a kind of police officer. She's been indoctrinated in in the story of the game to believe that objects are just things and that their feelings and thoughts aren't really all that important. Um, and over the course of the game, what you do with Anne is that you you learn Ways that she can empathize with the objects around her. Um, And so you're not being put in the place of the objects per se. You're being put in the place of the person who has to actually uh, learn empathy in the first place. It's not necessarily, it's a kind of humbling position, right? That you're um, not given this fantasy of mastery over another person's experience. You have to sort of stretch yourself.
0: It's a really interesting way of putting it that you in the game are not in the, the fantasy, probably a power fantasy of being able to achieve mastery. And I know uh, there was a really great piece by Robert Yang that talked about VR as empathy machines, and he yeah. explicitly called out um, the idea that if you walk a mile in someone else's shoes, all you've really done is like steal their shoes. And the idea that you can play a game and then like fully understand that person's experience um falls short what what do you think about that
1: yeah i i tend to agree with robert yang i'm often quite suspicious of empathy games um for some of the reasons that he points out that they take place in a political context where what the games are maybe trying to do is entertain an audience first and foremost before they get into a realm of empathy um, or even build up a brand for themselves that's one of his claims about vr Um, that empathy, in my mind at least, is not an unalloyed social good. It's just as possible for your game to help a subjugated or oppressed position empathize with the oppressor as vice versa. Um, And that to me seems like not a particularly useful political project to be engaged in. I think that this is often what games do. So you can think of uh, America's Army. In America's Army, whichever side you happen to be on um, is the American army. So it puts you in the position of sympathizing with a occupying enemy force uh, or sy- sympathizing with an occupying army force, um, whichever position you end up in. So that, that sort of act of being embodied in um, you know, a military position that you aren't probably in your ordinary life experiencing is still an act of empathy, but it's an act of empathy that doesn't have uh, or has a political project that is fairly ideological
0: so we we talked with Karen Schreier in one of the other interviews about empathy, and she spoke a lot about uh, kind of like the the downside of empathy in that we at least in the game space tend to hold empathy up as kind of this uh, this golden thing that we should aspire to and try to build into our games because it's going to solve all of our problems and you know she she spoke a little bit about you know how empathy can be used for for like dark purposes and that's kind of what i'm hearing from you is that you you the example you used was you can empathize with your oppressor and that is like you mentioned very kind of antithetical to i think what most games are trying to do
1: (laughs) yeah i mean that i think gets to the second possibility of, of misuse of empathy, right? Which is that being able to empathize with somebody, being able to either feel what they're feeling or understand what they're feeling doesn't necessarily lead to um, anything in particular, right? We We have a kind of fantasy or an imagination that if I experience a painful feeling that somebody else feels or a pleasurable experience that they feel, that i will have the same reaction that they would that if i will want to help them get rid of a painful experience i think that that's a uh, more or less an assumption an unjustified assumption that we make uh, that being able to feel what other people feel often leads to all sorts of other reactions by us so in spent the kind of classic example there is that people who go through the practice of like saving money and making decisions in in the game think that they could beat the system, right? That they could, if they were in that position, they would have a kind of mastery over it that um, that people, um, they they have a moral judgment about people afterwards that they didn't have in the first place. And that I think comes from a kind of misuse of empathy.
0: So the, the creator of Spent obviously had good intentions and you know didn't want you to identify with the oppressor. So what what do you think went wrong in that kind of scenario and you know what what can game developers uh or well-meaning other developers do to kind of avoid repeating that same
1: mistake? <laughs> that's a difficult question. <laughs> well, um, you know, there's
0: no easy questions on beyond gameplay.
1: Right. No, that's true. Um so let me give you two kinds of answers. The first thing that I think that I was trying to say before is that empathy isn't bad or good in and of itself. It's a a tool. It's a cognitive mechanism that we use to understand the world around us. And that just as important as empathy are other kinds of relational tools that we have. So often it's just as important to be able to um, not empathize with somebody, right? That listening to and understanding somebody's, what they're saying without understanding what they're feeling is a really crucial tool to uh, enact social justice. So I need to be able to listen to somebody and believe them whether or not I understand what they're feeling. Uh, so I would sort of push to some kinds of more conceptual understandings in these these games um, as one strategy. The second thing that I want to say is that it's important to tie empathy to a particular ethical and political project. Um, and make that explicit. That, that's my kind of commitment in games is that um, putting it in that context, not just saying you get to s- s- simulate what um, it's like to have $900 a month, but to put it in the context of um, particular tax laws <laughs> and a like larger social project around that, um, whether or not you agree like whether or not a player agrees with that project it allows an argument and a way of like changing people's mind that's not um, instrumental in the way that empathy can be
0: something just kind of popped into my my head is the comparison between spent and papers please Uh, there's been some talk about papers please as being you know unintentionally a really good empathy game and both spent and papers please are trying to examine and and develop empathy for people in really terrible situations, often tied to monetary uh, reasons and like systemic oppression. So what what do you see other than you know complexity? Like what are the differences between those two? Or I guess let me even take a step back. Do you think that Papers Please does a good job of helping players step into the mindset and understand the system compared
1: to Spent, or is, is,
0: does it also fall short uh, in a similar way? I
1: think it does get what. Get to what I was just saying a moment ago about uh the importance of embedding a kind of political sp- perspective uh when you're trying to use empathy, so papers please um gives us a kind of fascistic world that uh we don't have trouble kind of seeing as a problem right? this at the same time it builds an analogy to like the u s border and that helps us uh transfer the kind of empathy that we see in the game to other situations so in my mind, it, it does do a good job. Um, I would want to see it uh, kind of even more politically engaged. It's it's a fairly like broad uh, allegory. It's a 1984-esque kind of thing. Um, and I think that there's other games that do a kind of a good job of being um, embedded in a historical situation. So, it and not just a kind of broad allegory.
0: So context really seems to be the the key to a game like Papers, Please versus something like Spent. Yeah. And therefore, a key to having a game where you can actually maybe have some kind of cognitive, effective, social empathy for someone and maybe even learn something about the process. And you're much less likely to identify with the um, the oppressors versus Spent, which is because it is so simplistic, which I think was part of why people were attracted to it. But because it is so simplistic and devoid of that context and that kind of systemic... Uh, oppression, that's how you get kind of the fake empathy or empathy directed in the wrong direction.
1: And let me say one more thing about um, papers, please. So it does some things at the level of the representational content, but just as important is the kind of uh, bodily habits that it builds up. So it doesn't necessarily teach us in the way that spent does through like this particular decision. Are you going to pay for your child's health care or pay for rent this month. Um, That's a representational decision. um, And whether or not we can extrapolate from that to our own lives depends on a whole bunch of factors. One thing that Papers, Please does, though, is embeds this in its um, procedural content, right? It makes us uh, look at papers more closely (laughs) over and over again. And that kind of repetition and bodily habit, I think, is one way that... um, it changes our minds without changing our thoughts, if you will. It changes how we think. Um, it changes like what we think of someone with mismatching papers, right?
0: I love that. I'm going to get that stitched on a pillow. You know, It changes our mind without changing our thoughts. That's deep. It's like you studied <laughs> philosophy or something, you know? So kind of taking, I guess, a step back. One thing that I've been... I don't want to say struggling with because that's kind of overdramatic, but one thing that I've been thinking about and and not been able to find a good answer for is why empathy out out of all the psychological constructs that are available. Why do you think games have decided that empathy is the one that they're going to to champion and push and hold to like a gold standard?
1: That's a really good question. (laughs) Um, It's one that I don't have a a straightforward answer for. There's, I think, kind of two sides to it. One is um, that it fits with some of the formal elements of games in general, right? That games put you in a situation where you are not only identifying with a character through their symbolic traits, right? In a novel, you may identify with someone who shares a class position with you or shares some kind of approach to life. In a film, you're put in a position of like watching from somebody's eyes, but you don't have to act in their in their body. Whereas games put you in the direct position of acting. They ask you to um not only ask you, they demand that in order to act from that position, you have to understand what the character thinks and wants and feels. So empathy has a kind of formal connection to games, which is one reason I think that it gets brought up. But on the other hand, I think that there's an interest in empathy more broadly in culture, in a kind of contemporary culture that has to do with, um, as a placeholder, I would maybe say like a neoliberal uh, viewpoint. So what I mean by that is that empathy Um, puts the individual at the center of everything right that if um or empathy fantasizes that the solution to every problem is that i just have to uh, expand my consciousness to somebody else's and that doesn't require structural change it doesn't require uh, like that i humble myself (laughs) and i think that that's again this kind of power fantasy that surrounds it um
0: so empathy the idea is empathy is easy
1: in a way yeah Uh,
0: in order to be empathic you actually don't have to physically do anything you know the the act of empathy is actually um there's some people who formulate it as compassion as a completely different like construct and what I'm hearing from you is this idea of empathy is kind of the easy way out of, oh, well, I played this game. And the best example actually I can think of, uh, there was, uh, Anna put out uh, Dysphoria, you know, her game about her transitioning. Yeah. And there was a guy who commented on, on Twitter that after, you know, 15 minutes of playing Dysphoria, he now understood the T in LGBT. And Anna fired back with, if you think playing one 15 minute game makes you understand what this experience is like, you can go. And she inserted some expletives that I won't say here. And that's always really stuck with me this idea that, yeah, you can have that experience, but that doesn't mean you, you own that experience.
1: No, I think that's, that's right. It's not only that it's easy, it doesn't, um, or it's not only that you don't have to do anything, it's also that, like, um, that you can't ever quite know whether you're being empathic or not. And so your belief that you're being empathic makes you feel good in the process. And so it's uh, it's enjoyable to be empathic, right? It's partly like the pleasure of empathy is what sells some of these games.
0: That's so bizarre because most, most games, at least that I think of in terms of as empathy games or games trying to evoke empathy, they tend to be really sad. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the empathy they're evoking is shared feelings of grief and loss. So it's this really weird juxtaposition of getting joy
1: out of feeling pain. Again, this is where maybe not again. This is where I would want to come back to the question of aesthetics that uh, I started with, right? That we might think of it as a kind of conundrum or paradox that uh, we get pleasure from these painful emotions, but it's kind of a classic trope of aesthetics that with drama, right? Because uh, Aristotle talks about catharsis so that we manage to purge our negative emotions through the sort of dramatic process. Or with Kant, we enjoy experiencing the sublime, even though it crushes us and makes us feel tiny and insignificant. Um, Because we can encompass it, we feel powerful through it. So again, in, in Empathy, I think we have a similar situation where we might feel like there's sadness in the world or there's difficult situations that the game presents us with but we can kind of pat ourselves on the back on being empathetic afterwards.
0: We did the thing, we played the game. (laughs) Right. So what would you recommend, you know, as as a scholar, as a developer, as a teacher, how do we help future devs maybe avoid that trap that I made the player feel a thing and therefore like I washed my hands, I am done. I have done my job.
1: I mean, I think the difficult work for a developer is figuring out what their actual political position is or or ethical position, what their commitments are and articulating those to themselves at least. Um, That you can't have a value-free stance when you develop games, whether that's political or even just at the level of like how you want to relate to other people, right? It's not enough to say, I wanna understand other people, but you need to, like for me, when I develop games, developing critical listening skills is one of the the kind of crucial ethical relations that i want players to have i want them to sit in uncomfortable situations and be unresolved That that is a value that i try and bring to to games because i think that it would make the world better if everyone kind of like paused over what other people were saying as if they didn't understand it
0: so if you're craft if you're crafting uncomfortable experiences for your players what is your your process for, I guess, ethically inducing any kind of mm. um, like negative emotional state? And then maybe even beyond that, how do you have empathy for your players as you put them through that experience?
1: I think it's always context dependent. And a lot of the games that I design are what are called alternate reality games. So they're games that happen often out in the world. you can't really replay them. And they And they involve actors and they involve transmedia experiences and so their context is always the most important thing if i'm interacting with somebody on the university of chicago campus um, that changes our power dynamic right Uh, the whole space is is heavily policed it's very white it uh, has class dynamics in it um it's a one of the most elite universities in the country so that can't but help change how I relate to people on that campus uh, if I have characters in the game who are scientists right they but the players are going to defer to them in a different way than if they were scientists uh, just wandering around downtown Chicago um, and so like the the kind of ethical questions I think are just embedded directly in in the situation for me
0: so how how do you think? Either the role of empathy, how does that change from doing, say, a digital experience to a physical experience, like maybe an RPG, a tabletop RPG, versus an ARG? Or is there a difference in terms of of players feeling empathy and designing for that empathic
1: experience? There is a difference. Um, And one of the big differences is the kind of ongoingness, the dialogue. Of a game like uh, an ARG or a tabletop role-playing game, where your player or your um, designer can speak back to the other person and say, "No, you're not understanding what's going on here." Um, I think that's a just a baseline difference between these kinds of games um, that makes, in some ways, empathy a little bit sharper. You know, it, there's stakes to failing at empathy.
0: You don't want to be put in the corner.
1: yeah, you don't want to. Uh, mess up your relationship with somebody right like if you in a movie or a game if you think that you're being empathic when you're actually totally appropriating or misunderstanding someone's experience there's relatively little direct consequence in a live action game it might be that you fail the game if you don't understand somebody's experience if what they're trying to tell you it might be that you alienate your fellow players or make a fool of yourself or or whatnot. So empathy comes with stakes. And I think that that changes its ethical relation a little bit. It means that you need to be self-critical. And I think that that's a, a kind of crucial missing thing in some of the, the empathy games that are being made right now. That The self-criticism, right, is what gets us, uh, maybe at its best, empathy is self-critical that self-criticism gets us outside of ourselves a little ways. Um, The better that we are at seeing what kind of presuppositions we bring and the limitations that we bring to any situation, the more we can get just that much further outside of ourselves to understand somebody else's situation. But we need to be pushed to that self-criticism. It's not an automatic thing and it's uncomfortable. And so if a game doesn't have a mechanism to force us to do it, we're going to ignore it. We're going to take the easiest version of empathy that we can.
0: Can you give an example of either a game you've played or one you've designed where you have like constructed that discomfort space?
1: Yeah, let me tell, let's talk, start with one that I've played. Um, recently, Avery Alder's uh, role-playing game, Dream Askew, just had a, a new release and I was playing it with some folks. And Dream Askew um is a game where you're playing a member of a queer commune after the apocalypse has happened Um, and the way that game kind of unfolds is very different from a lot of role-playing games it asks you to kind of take on the daily ordinariness of this commune rather than role-playing fighting a monster you're going to role play like um hanging out by the empty pool in this abandoned california suburb and your character maybe drinks um, a cocktail, <laughs> and that's an action in the game, and that demands a different kind of you know you get outside of the genre conventions and it makes you uncomfortable because you have to imagine to play this game a kind of ordinary experience, and to do that you have to guess like you have to sort of think what your pleasures would be in an ordinary everyday way in this somewhat fantastic uh, empty world. You don't get to hide between behind like a stereotype of a dwarf who allows you to like, go into a bar and act rowdy, in order to have a kind of vicariousness that you can blame on a dwarf then. Dream Askew kind of like makes you responsible for for everything you want. That's uncomfortable.
0: So it's like role playing as yourself, or role playing your own drive and motivations and values.
1: Right. There's there's like a, a fairly elaborate role-playing fantasy element of this game, but it serves, I think, to bring out your desires in a more, like, vulnerable way.
0: Would you ever label a game that you made as an empathy game? Would you ever give it that title? <laughs> this silence to, is deafening. <laughs> <like, laughs>
1: I'm trying to come up with a better answer than just no. no. It, it's not my... I don't think I would. It doesn't strike me as the sort of point that you made earlier, that there's such a range of relational attitudes that we might develop in games, right? That there are just so many other ways of being in in situations with people, whether that's like fighting, right? Like (laughs) I would wanna make a game, I would much rather label a game that I've made as like an impassioned argument game than an empathy game.
0: So there's a there's a GDC talk, I think it was 2014 by uh, Vander Caballero, the founder of Minority Media, where he talked about like the importance of having the term empathy game, because it lets people know, uh, like what to expect. And he used his game Papa Yo uh, as an example of, you know, if you talked about it as an adventure game, well, it probably wouldn't score very well with reviewers. And if you talked about it as, uh, you know, like a platformer or a shooter, it's neither of those things. But if you call it an empathy game then people have an idea of what they're getting into and i'm wondering how you how, how does that strike you
1: i sympathize with that position um i think it points to a real uh, paucity of language that we have to talk about games that there should be a, a much wider vocabulary critical discourse sense of what games could be that we maybe need to work at developing, but I think like the term empathy game doesn't help us develop that language in particular. It's a, I don't disagree that it could be a useful marketing term, but when we go into actually thinking and describing what we're doing, I I think it's important to be a bit more specific in order that uh, future games don't have to rely on that term to sell themselves.
0: I agree. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to say yes to that. yeah, the terminology, it does feel so limiting. Uh, You know, in, in my clinical experience, when someone's talking about empathy, they're usually talking about, you know, feeling the feelings of another person. But, you know, as we mentioned earlier, and in several of the other interviews for this series, like, empathy is so much more than walking in someone else's shoes, or feeling what someone else is feeling. And so if we're doing research on the development of these empathy games, but we actually aren't measuring the same kind of empathy, you know, a perspective taking game versus an emotional resonance game versus a, you know, put your your empathy into action game versus like sit with a discomfort. Those are all such different things. And I'm, I'm wondering if we're not just, to your point, like muddying the waters about how to create these kinds of experiences that really resonate and really matter
1: yeah, because I mean, I think, we have such right. limited language to do so. One thing that you just said uh, <laughs> makes me maybe take back the. Thing I said about never making an empathy game. I think you just gave me an idea, where I think it would be interesting to make an empathy game where you have to describe what you think somebody else's feelings are to that person, <laughs> and put yourself in the in the kind of like a, in a kind of therapy role where like you have to make your assumptions about what somebody else is feeling vulnerable to that other person. I think that would be an interesting.
0: If you want to make. <laughs> A therapist therapy game I am all about that and I totally volunteer <laughs> we'll as tribute next, uh, to, to do whatever you need in
1: the future
0: <laughs> next time on beyond gameplay um, <laughs> um, so that there's one more thing that I want to, to touch on before we wrap up is that you do um, some really cool work at least from what I've read um, that is still empathy can- relevant adjacent I guess Um, And you work with the Game Changer Chicago Design Lab, did I get that right? Yes, yeah. And so can you talk a little bit about what the lab is and what you do there?
1: I am no longer directly associated with the lab, though I um, still often partner with the, the folks that are there. But the Game Changer Chicago Design Lab is Uh, a partnership between uh, Patrick Jagoda who's one of the lab directors and Melissa Gilliam who's the other and they come from two different backgrounds one in English and the other in public health and so the Game Changers Chicago Design Lab generally is about building games that teach sexual and reproductive health or make kind of serious arguments about it through games and some of that really does build around empathy in various ways so some of the games try to help people get into the experience of what it's like to be a bystander to sexual assault and how you might better intervene in those situations. Other games are, like we, we developed some board games around um, the infet- it, spread of infectious diseases, um, uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Some of those demand a little bit more kind of empathy or like get stepping outside of yourself than others and especially the alternate reality games that we've made. Um, These are like large scale games that often happen kind of as summer camps for high school students. They take place about uh, five weeks over the summer, um, mostly for Southside Chicago high school students. Those games, maybe one of the ways of phrasing what we're trying to do often in those is make students have empathy with themselves. to imagine a future version of themselves that is more expansive than the version of themselves that they currently imagine so one of the games for instance we literally had them have conversations with a 30 a version of themselves 30 years in the future we would write letters from this future version of themselves who is a scientist or a mathematician or a computer engineer um, and together they would have to solve a problem through this like time travel narrative I don't know if that kind of gets at what you're some of the things you're asking about well
0: it sounds like you already made therapy the game and then you added time travel <laughs> <laughs> and you're speaking to your future selves and role-playing and you know taking the perspective of what it is like not in the moment and thinking further down the line
1: i mean this is one one thing i think another problem another trouble with empathy right is we don't we're not very good at understanding what we feel let alone what other people feel um we're not great at unpacking our own emotions. So like, how can we be very good at understanding what other people are feeling? So I think maybe one place for games to expand, if, they, if empathy still is important, is to help people uh, empathize with themselves, make their own emotions objective through the process of play.
0: Can confirm self-empathy is very important. And especially with the population that you serve with the the game changer design lab is that you know you focus mostly with teens. Is that right? Yes, yeah. I mean that's a population that you know they're still finding out who they are and establishing their own identities and their own wants and understanding their own selves. So I imagine that can be really powerful for them to like as, as a teenager it can be really difficult to think of yourself as a thirty year old.
1: Uh, I mean this might be another reason why empathy is important in games is that we don't know who we are. And so the process of empathizing with others is also a way of, uh, I mean, this is partly the appropriative side of it, but it's also a future looking uh, imaginative side of of empathy, right? That by playing as somebody other than you, maybe you're discovering part of yourself that uh, you never knew was there.
0: I, I know that comes up a lot. Um, there's this really cool wave of therapeutic tabletop role-playing games that is becoming more and more mainstream among mental health professionals. So psychologists and therapists and social workers and anybody working with you know, a, a clinical population, especially if they're either uh, young adults or teens, they've been bringing in things like Dungeons and Dragons and other role-playing games that allow the kind of social and emotional and like cooperative exploration of self and other in the therapy space that is then built upon and expanded out. So I think that that hits it right on the head um, in terms of you're allowing them the experience to take on a new identity, even if that identity is themselves. It's just their future self.
1: Yeah, I think it can be a really powerful experience. And again, part of it is like making sure that you when you design a game that you don't frame it as you are a coherent person in the first place. And you're stretching out to understand some other like finished person who has like their like that we're always already in a relation. Right. Affects and moods don't just belong to a single body, they they saturate a space. So we're always sharing these kind of things.
0: Did you just go like Jungian psychoanalytical on me?
1: <laughs> no, my, my approach to that is like, uh, there's a branch of philosophy called affect theory. I won't go into that, but that's <laughs> where I'm drawing from. <laughs>
0: Because that would be a whole other episode, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) What's the the Twitter description of it?
1: Affect theory is about the kind of intensities that don't register consciously. It sort of thinks that our bodies have all sorts of experiences and encounters, and only some of them kind of bubble up uh, to something that we can recognize consciously and put words to. But all those other experiences are still relevant and powerful. They shape how we move through space and how we... You know, they they're the electric charges between people that shape our conversations and our feelings about about people that we can't recognize.
0: Oh, I love that. I love how you contextualize that. In the in the clinical, you know, therapeutic space we talk about how, you know, there's tons of stuff that guide our behavior and our thoughts and our feelings that just never rises to our own consciousness. You know, some people talk about the you know, like the id and the superego or um, the collective unconscious if you want to go union, or even just The fact that we only have so much of our attentional resources and we can only direct them in so many different ways and so there's so many processes going on that impact how we think and feel and what we do
1: and most of the time we don't recognize most of them and that can be like one of the things that games and especially for me live games uh allow you to do uh, like to design around that you can design sensory landscapes that allow you to like kind of shape those social interactions in unconscious ways. If you change the lighting and you have an aerosol mist moving through the space and you make people take off their socks in the basement, that's going to create a different kind of uh, social atmosphere between people. They're going to play in a totally different way.
0: So, lights and mist and no socks is what I'm <laughs> is what I'm hearing. That's the yeah, key one to empathy.
1: We, we, we did this in one of the games. We uh, unrolled uh, turf in the basement of a building and made people uh, walk down the stairs blindfolded and step barefoot onto grass underground.
0: And how did that turn out?
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is uh, what I was saying about like making uncomfortable experiences.
0: (laughs) You're poor students, dear lord.
1: (laughs) It was shocking, but it was also, it opened up a context where they no longer were just students, no longer just high school students who had to go to a summer camp. They were kind of taken outside of that experience and it helped them connect to other people in a new way.
0: Would it be accurate to say that a surreal experience like that is effective at bringing people together through a shared experience?
1: I think it can be. Uh, I wouldn't say surrealism will solve all the world's problems, but...
0: uh... (laughs) I I thought I'd solved it. I thought I had just, you know, won the world. All right, well, that's that's all that I have, and I want to be mindful of your time. Is there anything that you wanted to expand upon? Any questions that you wanted me to ask that I didn't get a chance to?
1: No, this is this is great. Thank you, Kelly.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Beyond Gameplay. If you enjoyed my interview with Peter McDonald, be sure to check out the other episodes around Empathy Games. Episode 1 with Dr. Gabby Schlichtman, Episode 2 with Dr. Karen Schreier, and Episode 4 with lead game designer Osama Darius. If you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at BeyondGamesCast. You can also find us on the interwebs at www.ithrivegames.org/beyond-gameplay, or you can email us at beyondgameplay@ithrivegames.org. Beyond Gameplay is a production of the iThrive Games Foundation, a 501c3 organization. For more information about how iThrive uses games and game design to prepare teens to thrive. Visit us at ithrivegames.org. The show is hosted by me, Kelly Dunlap, and was produced by Sean Wyland with direction from Dr. Susan Rivers and Jane Lee. Our project manager, producer, and writer is Iam Am Trin. And our theme music is Mysteries and Inquiries by the noisy game maker, Ethan Goss Alexander, who also helped edit this episode. Marketing and PR was coordinated by Kat Wendt. Special thank yous to Will Williams, Jonathan Green, Sierra Martinez, and Jess Class. Thank you for going Beyond Gameplay, where humanity is the core mechanic.